0: I'd just like to add my two cents worth We have four children And there are people from Urbana, Illinois And Santa Cruz, California Where we lived while they were growing up Who virtually left their fingerprints On our kids' souls In positive ways and shaped them So I just encourage you that direction Isn't it terrific to be together? Let me try that again Both auditoriums (laughs) Isn't it terrific to be together? Some of you are still frozen from outside I can tell this But um Last week, Pastor Derry announced sort of a theme for the year, not sort of a theme. He announced a theme, an umbrella for the year called Together for the Journey. All of us are on a journey of life. All of us are on a journey spiritually. And together for that journey, not just in it or on it, but for it is really critical. And he asked if I would just jump in and muck around. That's not his language. That's mine Uh, on this on this together business. We are designed in this way. It's fun to be together. It's a joy to be together. And um, this, this came home to me just um, just a few weeks ago. I was driving north of town, and I came across this road that said Overland Trail. And I said, Overland Trail, that's like historic, isn't it? And I came back, and I Googled it, because they know everything on Google, and I Googled it, and and sure enough, it's part of the California-Oregon Trail. It's this part in Colorado, Wyoming. It's called the Overland Trail, where years ago, between 1843 and 1869, people started moving west as it opened up. And they would gather. They'd bring their wagons and their kids and their cattle to Independence, Missouri. And then they'd form wagon trains. They wouldn't go independently. As, as Pastor Rick told me a couple of days ago, it's hard to circle one wagon you know, they, they came in clusters and wagon trains, and they stopped at all the stage stops. So you came to Fort Lupton, you came to this place called, at that time, Camp Collins, and then you went to La Port, and then you went on, headed out toward Oregon or California. 500,000 people, a half a million people, between 1843 and 1869, did that. 50,000 of them died on the way. But why did they do it, like, together? Well, they did it for provision, they did it for safety, they did it for camaraderie, they did it for companionship, and migratory people, people who have migrated or moved in people groups around the world for centuries, have traveled together. It's just how we are. And um, when I look at scripture, it's so great to be able to speak to this theme because it's so essential to to this book, to the idea of God with us on the journey. So, Let's just look at Scripture. Let's look back a minute. In the very first chapter of Genesis, this is how it reads. In Genesis one, twenty-six and 27, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over livestock, over all the earth, over all the creatures that move along the ground. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And when we look at that, when we get the sense of that, here's the sense of it. Point one on the back of your bulletins if you're, doing, if you're writing notes. Together is at the heart of creation. Genesis tells us that the design of human beings is not just whim, but it is a shared decision. The design of human beings is a shared decision. This is the triune God saying, let us make man in our image. Let us do this thing. It's not an independent thing. It's a shared thing. Now, theologians come along and talk about what what does it mean to look, to be made in the image of God? Well, clearly it's not physical characteristics. Like, you know, we're going to, God's bald and you've got, you know, or he's got this kind of hair or this kind of figure, this tall. No, it isn't that piece. Theologians talk about, being created in his image with the capacity to think and to reason to have intellect to have creativity to have moral choice capacity those but what if one of those things about being made in the image of God is the us part that here is the God who is together that when he said let us make a man in our image God the Father God the Son God the Holy Spirit that right from the get-go That combination is at the core of things I would submit to you that we are designed for together it is built into us from the very start point two is that we embody that same we embody that same capacity for sharing because we are meant to be together we're meant to be together listen to listen to how it reads in the book of Ecclesiastes. Now Ecclesiastes it's kind of cynical, it's kind of a downer. You don't want to go there like every day, but but when when you read Ecclesiastes four, verse nine through verse twelve, this is how it reads Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. How can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. Anyone who's ever worked out know this, that if you, if you have to work out alone, it's just a bummer. I mean, but if somebody could do it with you, Rob Coles and I, Have started working out together. It's Pastor Rob. He and I were you could tell it if you get close to us, you can really tell this. No, I'm just kidding. But but there's something about doing it together. And then if you have a trainer, like if you have somebody who knows what he's doing, who can sort of give you direction or she can help you, that's even better. And, of course, that's what we get when we're in the kingdom of God. I get you, and we get this trainer. We get this person, the person of Jesus, who says, let's do it this way. This is the direction we're going. This is how we can. But we have built-in receptors, receptors in us, apparently, that intuitively take us to each other. When we... um, When we speak like this on Sundays, oftentimes we will bounce ideas off the rest of the pastoral team because we're in it together. Even though one of us stands up to speak, others can speak into it a lot of times. And so I shared some of these ideas and Pastor Reza walked in last night and said, I was reading this. I think this fits. There's a doctor by the name of DeWitt Williams who uh, had a friend send him some pictures of twins that were born. One was strong, stronger, and the other was weaker, but they didn't know whether either of them would survive. But the the larger one looked like he or she had the better chance. The nurses thought they were going to die, and the youngest one, the youngest baby, when they thought she was going to die, they put her in the incubator with the other one. And as soon as they did that, the older one moved over and dropped his arm over her. They got tubes coming out of them stuff. and they stayed that way all night. And when the nurses came the next morning, they saw that the little one was getting stronger. Both babies survived. Both babies thrived because they both had this, this need and this connection, this intimate closeness that was built into them. And when it happened, powerful things occurred. I like what his point is, or the point is, that all of us need affirmation and support of one another at every stage of our lives, beginning when we're newborns. It's the way we're designed. The Creator could have put within us the temperaments of leopards, great white sharks, European bison, or other animals that remain solitary, except when mating or raising young. Instead, he gave us an innate longing for human friendship and affection, and then told us to meet those needs for one another. Have some friends. From Illinois as a doctor and his nurse wife who with their children were up in the canyon up here I think it's the one on the way to Estes where they had that big flood years ago was that big Thompson and came down and people were killed and during the night when when this was happening it scared the family and the kids all came and piled into the into their bed they were vacationing they piled into their bed and the nurse Jan Shepherdson said it was like they were saying if we're gonna die Let's do it together. There's this, this place where I'm afraid of my life, where I don't just run for cover. I run for your cover. I run for you. We want to be together in this process. Now, you, you can't be close to a thousand people. You just can't. But maybe two or three. We, we could do that. And some of you have heard me talk before. You say, oh boy, here Foth goes again. He's going to get on the two or three bandwagon. Well, it's not my bandwagon. It's this bandwagon. It's this one here. I can't do 12, but I might do one. I might connect with two. It's, it's, it's not hard. You can get like three people in a car. It's easy to get a table or a restaurant with three. 12 is a bummer. It takes forever. But the motif is throughout the Bible. People say, wasn't it great how Moses led those people out of the, out of the land of Egypt? Well, It wasn't just Moses. It was Moses and Aaron and Hur and Miriam. You say, well, King David was terrific. What about his good buddy Jonathan? Well, Daniel, what a tremendous person. Well, what about those Hebrew children? Well, Elijah is the greatest prophet of all. But what about the guy he mentored, Elisha? And Jesus came to do this. But in coming to do this, he said, this is how you do it. And he gathered three and he gathered another nine. And you go to the book of Acts in the first half. It's about Peter and John walking together and doing things. And the last half is about Paul and company. You start getting the feeling like God's really all about together. Well, it's his character. That's his image. His image is together. And it's so attractive when people are together. Some of you have heard me say this. You know, you see two lovers in the springtime. They're out on a park bench here at one of these parks, and the birds are chirping, and the sun is warm, and you're at 5,000 feet, and you have to have sunglasses and water and chapstick at 5,000. I found that out. And you don't want to gawk, but they're so cute together. And you just, you're looking and you turn, but then it's, and you just keep, because it's just what happens when people care for each other. It's built into us from the start. Point three, together could be near, or it could be side by side. I mean, like we're near here. I mean, I'm not so near to you folks who are back there, but we're, we're within proximity. And some of all of you are side by side, essentially, with somebody. But the essence of together in this book is what I would suggest to be face to face. You're face to face. That's interesting language. Listen to how Matthew 18 says it again. Truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it'll be done for them by my father in heavens for where two or three gather in my name. There I am with them. There's this idea of being together in scripture that has to do with agreement. It has to do with this, not with this, with this. Some of you work with early childhood kids and you know about parallel play. Parallel play is where children play beside each other, but they don't share their toys. The kingdom of God is not about parallel play. Well, maybe in some places that's what it feels like. The worst thing in the world, like, is, is to go to church and not feel together. Or to be part of a congregation where you don't feel connected. And, and we always have to work on that. But what makes teams? What makes... What makes I, I, I love football. You know, I'm not quite as addicted to the NFL as my friend Terry Kelly. I'm not quite there... But I love football, not just because I like football, but because it's a team deal. And when they win, they're jumping up and knocking, doing all kinds of crazy stuff because they're together. And when you ask him, well, how did this happen? They say, well, we, we just, these are my brothers and I. I love them and we've gone through terrible stuff and great stuff and we failed together and we've gotten up and we kept going. And we have this. Right. Pastor Scott already said it. You can take an average to good Team. And they can win when they're together. And you can take a team with great individuals on it, individuals, player, and they lose because they're well so individual. Hard to be together. Being together is not for wimps. It takes work. you got to work it face-to-face. You don't have to work so much at side-to-side or being near, but you've got to work it face-to-face. I have a friend in Washington, D.C. whose mantra is, remember, Even though we're apart, even when we're apart, we're still together. Another friend and I were in this particularly difficult meeting. We walked out and this guy looked at me and said, folks, remember, even when we're together, we're still apart. How many understand? Oh, you have to raise your hand. We get that. But the way Scripture talks about how we deal with one another is fascinating. We're challenged by it. Listen to these words. Scripture commands us to be devoted to one another, to honor one another, to live in harmony with one another, to accept one another, to serve one another, to be kind and compassionate, to admonish one another, to encourage one another, spur one another toward love and good deeds. We are designed for it. It's not that we have to work at it so much. We are designed for it. It is built in. It's the image of God in us. There's a counselor from Canada that says it this way in a book called The Transparent Self. He talks about intentionality and self-disclosure as being a key to this face-to-face business. Listen to how he says it. One can only become well and stay relatively well. When they've come to know themselves through self-disclosure to another person. Every maladjusted person is a person who has not made himself known to another human being. And in consequence, does not know himself. I discover who I am better when I'm with you. You kind of tell me who I am. You reflect back to me who I am. I am burdened this morning by the tragedy in Tucson, Arizona. Representative Gabrielle Giffords and five other people, a federal judge, a nine-year-old girl. Because somebody walked in alone. He may have had an accomplice, but he didn't do that because he was together. He didn't do that because somebody was speaking into his life in positive ways. Listen to Listen to how John says it in terms of face-to-face. I have much to write you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face-to-face so that our joy may be complete. Or in 1 Corinthians, Paul says it this way, 1 Corinthians 13, For now we see only as a reflection, as in a mirror. Then we shall see face-to-face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully who I am. I live and you live in a culture of Bites of sound bites of little bits of information and we text each other and email each other. And I love that stuff. I texted yesterday. I just you know, got the little opposing thumbs going, you know. I sent emails yesterday. I'm not a I'm not a tweet person. I'm, I'm not. I don't think I'll ever go to tweet. I might, but I'm, you know, but so and you can share information, but it's not like deep. You're not going to resolve a deep issue by email. Trust me with that. Businesses know this. If you're going to do a deep thing, if you're going to do something that really counts, you do it this way. Ruth and I were invited to New York City, to Radio City Music Hall for their Christmas extravaganza a few years ago. And we went from D.C. up on the train. And when we were coming back, we were in Penn Station. And there are no, like, benches for you to sit on, so you got to go in the little restaurants. And we were in Pizza Hut, and an older lady came up to us and said, could I sit at your table? And we said, sure, sat down. And I started asking her my traditional fourth questions. Where were you born and brought up? What would you do for fun as a kid? You know, And Ruth just rolls her eyes and says, you don't have to answer all of his questions. You don't have to. But she was telling us, and it turns out that in her career, she was a vice president for marketing for a major company in the Midwest, had retired and had recently come back to be in business as VP for marketing for a large toy company in New York City. I said, what's the difference coming back into this business climate? She said, the thing that bothers me the most is I'm sitting at a computer and I get an email message from the person sitting next to me. I said, so, so you miss that person talking to you, do you? She said, no, I miss the eye contact. Because when you look in somebody's eyes, you recognize them. You acknowledge that they're there. Here is the God who comes down and says, right here, folks. You, me, right here. I acknowledge that you're here. You are designed in my image. That's how it works. My mom had Alzheimer's or severe dementia in the last couple of years, and I flew out last year to see her. I said, Ruth, I just, she had stopped talking, and I said, I said, I'd just like Mom to maybe say something one more time. She's in Southern California, and I walked in to where she was staying, and her eyes weren't too good, and her hearing was bad, so you have to talk real loud and get real close, and I got right down in her face like this. I said, Mom, this is Dick. I love you. Can you hear me? She reached out and she took my hand. She put it up to her mouth and she kissed it. And just held it against her cheek. I said, that's good. You don't have to say anything. You said enough. It's all right. That's how it is, this face-to-face business. But the opposite of together is this horrible thing called alone. Genesis 2.18 says it this way. It is not good that man should be alone. When together stops... I move toward alone. And here's the deal. Alone is hell. Together is heaven. I'm not using hell as an epithet here. I'm, I'm saying that the essence of hell in this book is when you're apart in the dark by yourself. And the essence of heaven is that it's party time. We're together. It's face to face. We all know what alone feels like. When you're a little kid today, if you don't get it right, your folks say, "Okay, time out. You got to go sit on your bed or go off to another room or something." And when you get older, if you do stuff that's bad, we say, "Okay, time out," and we put you in prison. And if you're bad in prison, we put you where? Solitary. That's how people get broken in prison camps. I was flying back from the East Coast, sat next to a young man who was grading papers. We started talking. He was back with his father. His father was a retired Navy flyer. As we talked, he said, my father spent five or six years in a prison camp in Hanoi during the Vietnam War called the Hanoi Hilton. Many of you remember that. It was a brutal place where they isolated people and tortured them. And they developed a code for tapping between the walls to maintain together. Because the aloneness was killing him. They needed to be together. And I said, tell me, tell me how your dad was changed in that time, if he was changed. He said, my dad went into that prison as a, as a fast-moving, AAA a type, high-tech fighter jock. And when he got out, he was a human being. Here is the God who comes along. And says it's not good to be alone. Let me just say this about aloneness. To be alone is not being single. Aloneness and single is not the same. I know a lot of single people who are connected and together. I know some married people who are alone. Aloneness is different from solitude. Solitude is a choice I make for creativity. and And we'll talk more about that in the summertime. I'm not talking about feelings of aloneness. All of us feel alone at times. It doesn't mean I am alone. Now, those feelings are real and I have to deal with them. But that's different than actually being alone. The the most alone feeling I ever had was a Christmas when I was in college when my parents' relationship was sort of coming unraveled. And it was too tense and I didn't want to go home. And so I stayed on campus by myself. It was like the worst moment in my life. Together is expressed most most profoundly in Jesus' actions toward me. Jesus' actions toward me. It isn't just that Jesus came to redeem me. That's the essence of what's going on. It isn't just that he took away my sin. That's the key part. It isn't just that he transforms my life. I think he goes out of his way to say, here's the deal. I came to make sure you are not alone. Emmanuel, God with us. He came to be with me to disclose his heart, to reveal the Father, to look me in the eyes, to hold me close, to take me home. I'm going to close with this. I want to tell you about my mom. You say, oh, brother, he's going to talk about his mom. My mom was born on July the 11th, 1910. That was the year Mark Twain died. There were 1,000 miles of paved roads in the United States in 1910. And that year, Henry Ford built 10,000 cars, all of them black. The average salary that year was $985 for every American. Six weeks after my mom was born in the land of Albania, a little girl was born that later went to India. You know her as Mother Teresa. When she was four, when my mom was four, the war to end all wars started. Went for four years. Eight million people died. But in 1917, a flu epidemic went around the world. Twenty five million people died in that. When she was 19, the stock market crashed and she was in Bible college. And there she met a tall, handsome, slim, dark haired guy named Oliver. Oliver Foth. And they married. And they had two kids, my sister and me. And in 1945, we went to India after the war. And and within the first year, my mother, because she was isolated with two little kids, my dad was out in villages, she had what we would call an emotional collapse, alone. She was alone and felt alone. The Lord restored her over time. She had physical challenges along the way, but she was a strong lady. Her mom had paid for piano lessons when when she was a child, when my mom was a child. Her mother took in washing in order to pay for piano lessons. My mom always had a song. And after 29 years of marriage, my father, who was a pastor, walked away. Now, you say, that's, that's not supposed to happen. A lot of things on the journey aren't supposed to happen. How many know, you would have to raise your hand, how many know that a lot of stuff happens on the journey that you didn't expect? But if I'm together, I can deal with that going forward. And she stayed connected. She stayed connected to her kids and to Jesus. She just did. And so for the last 46 years, mom was alone, together with this man for 29, then 46 years as a, as just by herself, if you will. My mom was always funny. Her sense of humor helped her a lot. She would drive in Southern California. Some of you, I've told this. She would drive in Southern California. She drove till she was 92, You may have seen her on I-5. She wasn't one of those little old ladies from Altadena who putt-putts along. She sort of drove her age. Okay? Are you with me there? Some of you golfers like to try to play your age. She drove her age. She just put the pedal to the metal and go for it. And one day, she was coming out of her driveway, and a guy hit her. And my mom was old school. She would dress up to go to the store, you know, just to go to the grocery store. High heels, nice dress. And she was all fitted out. And this guy, whack, hit her. And the police came. Said, "Are you okay, ma'am?" She said, "I think I'm shaking, but I'm all right." Her car was just creamed. Said, "Are you sure?" She said, "Yeah, I think." And she looked down and said, "Oh, but look, we killed that poor little dog in this collision." The officer said, "Ma'am," he said, "That little dog? We killed that little dog in this collision." The officer looked down and said, "Ma'am, that's the, it's not a dog. That's your wig." <laughs> My mom told that on herself. I, she, she was funny, and when she was and when she was ninety three. We wanted to give her something for her birthday. And my sister called and said, what should we do? What would you give a 93-year-old? They give stuff back to you when they're 93 years old. So I said, take her to high tea at a nice hotel. And they took her to the Ritz-Carlton, Dana Point on the coast of California. And there... There was a guy playing a big grand piano like they do in those fancy hotels. And my cousin went over and said, do you ever take a break? And this young lady plays the piano beautifully. He said, well, she can do that when I leave. And so he left, said, it's your turn. She walked over, sat down, started playing some hymns. And as she played, she uh, threw her head back and started to sing an old gospel camp meeting song. There's going to be a meeting in the air in the sweet, sweet by and by. And people stood up and gathered round and just started to sing. Even if they didn't know it exactly. Anyway, as she did that, as she did that, it captured the essence of who she was. When she was 90, we threw her a birthday party. And somebody said, Gwen, why don't you play something for us? And so she went over and sat down, played a couple of show tunes, then a hymn. And then she started playing this because she always stayed connected. Even though people walk away, Jesus says, I won't leave you, and if she were here, well, she'd not here, but well, I'll just let you have her sing it to you,
1: okay. I right to tell you) what I-
0: Five, five months ago today, Mom went home to Jesus. She was 100 years and four weeks old. I think she got to 100 and said, I'm out. I'm done. We're just out of here. Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me this morning? In this moment, I just ask you this question. I don't know where you are on the journey. But I just want to encourage you to be together. There are all kinds of ways to be together as part of this congregation. But I just I just um, sense in my heart that if we would pick up the phone this week and call someone, or or you just let the Spirit sort of lead you into how to connect if you feel like you aren't. There may be some here this morning who say, you know, that person who feels desperately alone. I'm that person. No one's looking except me this morning and the Lord you'd just like to slip up a hand, I'd like to include you in a prayer as we close. You just say, I feel that this morning, and I'd just like you to include me. Yes, got it. Others, yes. Yes. Father, here we are. We are designed to be together. That's why we're here. We pray by your Holy Spirit that you will give us direction and guidance, and that you will wrap your arms around these who have indicated what they feel this morning. And we thank you for your grace in their lives in this moment. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said. And prayer team is coming to be here at the front. If any of you have needs, you just like someone to, to have prayer with you, they, these are great folks. They know what it's like to be on the journey and to stay connected. I encourage you to come and let them pray with you. If anyone is here and you say, I don't even get the Jesus part, I don't, you know, I'm new, we'll just be here at the front, we'll respond to that, if you'd like to come up and say, tell us a little bit more about that, and I'll be down here with the folks. So, now unto Him who is able to keep you, us, from falling, we bless you, and we send you off in His grace, if you will, together. Service begins now. God bless you.